He's a good son. I love him. So if you look on your seats, or you may be sitting on it by mistake, you may not know, we just wanted to give you that this is a five-part series. So we're going to finish the year up doing Daniel. There'll be four different teachers, and we'll break the book down three chapters at a time. So this morning is an overview because we're, I think we're all coming from very different places in our understanding of Daniel. And so we want to kind of just level it out a little bit and give everybody the same information. And our hope and our prayer is that you'll start reading Daniel, that you'll read Daniel maybe once a week, maybe once a day, and you will be touched by him. Because I think once you catch a whiff of Daniel, when you see his life, when you see the threads of his life and what this man was, you, you will want to read him over and over and over again. So your sheet, on one side, hopefully, we ran out, and some of you just have one side, so sit with someone that has both sides. It's just the chronological order of Daniel, where Daniel fits in history. Who are his contemporaries? Who comes before him? Who comes after him? Because it makes it much easier to understand the book when you understand where Daniel fits. The other side is a figure. It's a statue. This statue follows Daniel his entire life. God speaks to him through this statue, through these kingdoms, for his entire life. So that's why I wanted to give that to you. You'll see in chapter 2 and chapter 7, we have um, chapter 2 is man's view, this great statue of gold and silver, powerful, majestic. In seven, we see how God sees it, men that are wild beasts that harm one another and do great damage to God's kingdom and his children. So that just kind of lets you know how the book weaves in and out. So let's get started. I feel like I've had about 20 cups of coffee, but I don't even drink coffee. So we'll see where this morning will go. I think if I was going to if I was going to push and push and, and pray for something to stay with all of you while you're reading Daniel through the next five or six weeks, because we will break for um, Christmas service, it's what's at the bottom of your page. It's actually Daniel 2. And it says, this is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar, who has had this vision, this dream of this statue. And it says, you watched while the stone was cut without hands which speaks of divine, divine workmanship, divine origin, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chafe for the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That stone is our savior. That stone is our savior, Jesus Christ. And this story has an amazing ending because it tells us what happens, how our Christ comes and saves us yet again. So let us get started keeping in mind that God is sovereign over all things. Nothing happens in our life, nothing happens in our nation that does not pass through his sovereign hands. So why Daniel? Why Daniel? I think Daniel provides a roadmap for excellent character development. We see this person taken at the age of 12 to 15 years of age. He's a noble. He's in the king's family. 
He has the best of everything. Best of everything. And he is taken away to a country where he doesn't speak the language. He never sees his family again. He never goes back to his nation again. And we see this man through the entire course of his life as he responds to God, as he responds to the crisis that God allows into his life. It's an amazing story. It also shows the environment that can be expected to test the character, and it provides an end-time prophetic roadmap that's remarkably accurate, detailed, and consistent with the New Testament. Some commentaries actually say that Daniel couldn't have written Daniel, not when he says he wrote it, because it is so incredibly accurate when you line it up with history. It's amazing. It's an amazing book. If you go through and you look through history books, and then you read what Daniel said and what visions were given to Daniel, you will see the amazing precision of our God in watching out and walking us through history. More than anything, it shows that while God looks for and uses people to actively participate in his plan, he is sovereign in control, creating an elaborate, wonderful plan for us to embrace and be active participants in. You could actually spend an entire year teaching Daniel. It's that deep and that significant. And so our hope is that you will kind of, this will spur you on. The book opens saying that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So the book starts out, this is no mistake. What's happening is not something that catches anybody off guard. It isn't Nebuchadnezzar's great power that causes this to take place. It's God allowing it to take place. Sometimes God will allow harsh things into our lives to purify us, to display his power, and to display his glory. Let's take a look at Daniel quickly. So Daniel at a young age is taken. He grows up in the temple. He grows up with praying parents because it tells us that Daniel, as from his youth, prayed three times a day. So Daniel is in the temple. He's learning. He's learning from a prophet called Jeremiah. Jeremiah, for 23 years, kept saying to the people of Israel, it's coming. Judgment is coming upon us. And nobody liked it, and nobody really listened to him. One year out, he said, it's here. It's coming. We know that Daniel was listening. Daniel was in the temple, and Daniel was listening. Now, it's one thing to know something's coming. It's another whole different thing to prepare yourself for what is coming. And we see, as a little boy... Daniel took this information in. He was listening. He was paying attention. So when this happened, Daniel, as he was walking four months to Babylon without his mom and dad, without anybody, Daniel in his heart knew this was ordained by God. He also knew from Jeremiah that this was going to take place. This was going to take place in his, the entirety pretty much of his life because he knew it was 70 years So he knows going in, this is for 70 years, that's what the prophet said. And he keeps going. We see Daniel's whole life. Daniel is one of the few people in scripture who we see in great detail who nothing negative is said. Nothing is said about Daniel. No misstep, no miscue, nothing. There's only a few in scripture that walked that way. 
He's the only human that, while he was still alive, is praised by God. The prophet Ezekiel, who is a contemporary of Daniel, Daniel is taken in the first wave. The wealthy, rich, noble are taken in the first wave by Babylon. The second wave was another group of people. Ezekiel, the prophet, is in that group. Ezekiel and Daniel know of each other. Ezekiel speaks of Daniel a number of times in his book. But Daniel is the only person in scripture, except for Christ, but Christ isn't, you know, Daniel's Daniel, Christ is Christ. But Daniel's the only human that is praised while he is still alive. That's in Ezekiel 14, 14. While he certainly isn't perfect, the scripture is not random, and he is offered to us as a great role model. So I want to go through and just show you some of the scriptures of what is said of Daniel in Daniel. I read out of the King James Version, um, but up on the screen, it's not King James, so. Okay, so Daniel 1, 3, and 4. We see here that Daniel was marked by excellence at a young age. So this is talking about the wave that's going, the first wave that was taken. The, king descent, the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish. What does that remind you of? Sacrifice. They're always looking for animals without blemish. <clears throat> but good-looking young men, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to, stir, to serve in the king's palace. Daniel 1, 8 through 9. I think in all of these, if you could think of even one of these being said of you, you would feel as though you had a successful life, <laughs> you know, just one. But Daniel has all of these. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel 1, 20 through 21. He was spiritually gifted, and he knew how to use the gifts God had given him. For it says, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magician, magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. But understand that Dan this is the beginning of Daniel. Daniel has only had maybe two to three years training, and already he has more knowledge, more wisdom, more understanding than an old man that's been taught and been in those places all of his life. Daniel is only 15 to 18 years old at this point. Daniel was a Pentecost forerunner, despite the fact that the, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on men yet. He had some measure of it in his life, as stated in Daniel 4.18. This was spoken of him, but you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Daniel 5.11-12, through 12, we hear there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the Spirit of the Holy God. There are many gods in Babylon, so that they're distinguishing now Daniel's God from all of the other gods. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. Daniel 5, 14 through 18, I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. He was very shrewd. It says in Daniel 6, and four, 6 chapter, uh, verse 4, so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find no fault or charge because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. 
These are the people he works with. Would the people in your office say the same of you? Would they say the same of me? It's an amazing story. He did not hide his faith. Daniel was faithful. He walked that line, and I think that's one of the things that we can learn when we look at Daniel. How do we live as Christians, being righteous and holy, without coming across as completely obnoxious? Daniel 6, 20 through 22, the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel responds, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him, God. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. He was a man of deep prayer and close connection with God. Daniel 9, 21 through 24 says, this is, I think, the intercessor's great <laughs> great prayer and, and uh, great inspiration. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, now Gabriel for the first time in scripture is seen in Daniel. We see Gabriel two times in Daniel. We see, Dan, we see Gabriel two times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Daniel, Daniel is speaking of the Antichrist. In the New Testament, he is proclaiming Jesus Christ coming. So Daniel 9, 21 through 24, while I was speaking and in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and talked to me, and he said, O oh, Daniel, oh, it's just, this part makes me cry because I just think, what? What a kiss from God through all his life, all the hardships of his life. And this angel comes and speaks to him and says, Oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, at the beginning of his fast, the command went out, and the command is from the throne of God Almighty. The minute he speaks, God responds immediately. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. You are greatly beloved, although probably at times in Daniel's life, he didn't feel greatly beloved of God. He probably felt, I'm doing everything right. Why is all this happening to me? I have done nothing that we see, we even see. He has done nothing, yet God uses his life as an example for people for 2,500 years of history. This is how you walk in crisis. This is some of the things that may happen to you in your life. You may not have understanding in the moment, but you'll understand my character and how faithful I am through it all. So, <clears throat> contemporaries of Daniel, which will be on the flip side. Jeremiah was the prophet in the days of young Daniel. At the time, he was prophesying judgment in the midst of revival, so he was not liked at all. When the hour came, though, Daniel remembered and he was ready, and he was prepared. It reminds me of DMAC gave, gave this great sermon on soil, the soil of our, of our hearts, the soil of our spirit. And we can see Daniel is one of the 100% octane guys, even as a little boy. The soil of his heart was absolutely perfect for the word of God to go in, take root, take bloom, and for him to go forth. 
I think, what was that young boy thinking as he trudged across the desert, leaving his mom and dad and everything that he knew? No friends, no family, nothing. He goes in and he's part, put into the house of the eunuchs as a teenage boy. So, Daniel was not surprised and disillusioned like many of his contemporaries. Thousands of young men went in this wave, this first wave, thousands of them. <clears throat> so, Jeremiah was to Daniel what Daniel is to us. Setting his heart and purposing it as a young man, he listened to Jeremiah when not many did, and he was able to flourish in the midst of crisis. In the worst moments of his life, Daniel flourished. He did not shrink back. He was not horrified. Gary and I were, probably about 12 years ago, we were in Vienna, and he was working, and so I went to the art museum, and I was going through, and I walked into this room, and there was a, a beautiful picture that was probably the size of that back wall. It was rectangular, and it was amazing. And it was Daniel in the lion's den. <clears throat> and I just looked at it, and I wanted to cry because I knew it probably took this man forever to paint this, this beautiful picture, but it was wrong. It was wrong. The lion's mouth was wide open. Daniel was a young boy, and he was terrified. That's incorrect. Scripture says the lion's mouth was held shut by an angel. Daniel was 80 years old, and I would bet my life he wasn't terrified. By 80 years old, he is an ornery guy, and he is going to call a spade a spade and tell you the truth. He does not matter. His life does not matter to him anymore. But I think that's kind of what's happened in our culture. We know parts of the story of Daniel, but we don't know the truth of Daniel. We don't know the truth of his life. We don't know the purpose that God has put him in this book for us to, to know and understand, and my hope is that we will get some of that in the next five weeks. Ezekiel was also a contemporary of Daniel, as we talked about. Um, Ezekiel is a wild guy. He was living with the, with the, um, the slaves. So Daniel's in the king's house. Daniel, uh, Ezekiel's with the slaves. And Ezekiel has these amazing experiences. And God asks him to do the craziest things. And he's like, sure, sure. I've got nothing to lose. Both of these men walked because they knew there was, they had nothing to lose. It was all for God. It was like the last song that we sang, you know? Through everything in, his, in their lives, they worshiped God. They loved him and they worshiped him no matter what came upon them. We also see Esther. We don't see Esther in the story, but Esther was also brought in to the king's court, obviously, um, when the Persians ruled. So Daniel spent his time mostly under Nebuchadnezzar, but let's just look quickly at the kings he served under. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar from 605 to 562 B.C., Belshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's grandfather, um, and that was 553 to 539. Darius was the governor of Babylon under Cyrus. So some people, when you're reading commentaries, it'll say, Darius wasn't a king. No, Darius was not a king. Darius was the governor under King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the king of Persia from 559 to 530 BC. Okay, so let's look at the book a little bit. Not a lot, because there's so much in here, but we want to just kind of give you some of the, uh, explain some of the things that are in here that if you haven't read the book before, you may need a little help understanding. Let me say first that the book is not in chronological order. 
So if you've been reading it and you're confused, you should be, okay? Because <laughs> it's not in chronological order. So the correct chronological order is chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Then we go into a vision, one of Daniel's visions. He's about 60 years old. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 10, 11, and 12. So it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, 9, 5, 6, 10, 11, and 12. And you're all saying, of course it is. Of course it is. I knew that. But that will make sense. Then when, now that you know what the king, who the kings are and what the timeline is, you can actually read it in the order, the chronological order, and the flow is going to be much more apparent to you, and the story, I think, will be much more apparent to you. Okay? So, chapter 1. Some people, when, they, when you read commentaries, um, there's a ton of commentaries on Daniel. Many commentaries break it up into 1 through 6, and then 7 through 12. I kind of think it should be 1 and then 2 through 6, 7 through 12, because number, chapter 1 is full of so many things that set us and set us with an understanding of who this young man is, who this Daniel is. So 1 gives us the background, and we look at uh, a little look at Daniel. We see that he doesn't bend into the culture, even though nobody would notice. Nobody knows Daniel where he is going, really. Nobody knows him. It's like Joseph. Joseph gets sold by his brothers, right? He's in the king's court. He's in prison. He's out. He's in prison. He's out. And I think the defining moment of Joseph's life is Potiphar's wife. Because Potiphar's wife says, come, lie with me. And nobody will know. Nobody will know. Nobody's seeing. Nobody's hearing. What will you do, Joseph? And I think all of heaven was waiting. What will he do? It was the defining moment of his life. Will you bend into yourself or will you stand? And that was Joseph's response. I will not sin against my God. It had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with Potiphar's wife. But that young man stood and said, I will not sin against my God. I will not and we see the same thing here with Daniel when it came to the food. I mean, there's a number of different things why Daniel picked food as his uh, battleground for standing up and saying, no, can we, can we find another way? Um, but Daniel stays true, even from a young age. So chapter 1 gives us the background. Chapter 2 through 6 are snapshots of Daniel's life and in his friends' lives. Shadrach, Mejak, and Abednego are Daniel's three friends that he finds while in captivity. Chapter 2 through 6, Alan Hood calls it the survivor's guide for the end times, how God will intervene on behalf of his children who are faithful to him. Because the 2 through 6 are really the Sunday school stories that many of us have been brought up on the amazing things that God does, how he intervenes. We see the importance of prayer and fasting. We see um, in chapters 2 through 6, we see the importance of Christian friends who have their hearts set to understand and are faithful. Um, two weeks ago, I was in Africa, and we were going out with a, a guide who was going to show us some animals in Kruger. And 
they pick us up early in the morning, and he introduces himself. He says, hi, my name is Mejak. I'm like, Mejak, Shadrach, Mejak, and Abednego. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, okay, I'm ready. I'm looking for the lessons. What is God trying to show me in this place? And what I ch- heard from him over and over again, although we were with him for a significant amount of time, was the importance of being in community, even though the animals were his, were his example do you know a lion, the king of the, the pride, the most important member of the pride, the strongest one of the pride, when a lion is um, challenged by a younger member of the pride, if the younger men, member wins, the lion is forced out. And when he's forced out, he's usually hurt because of the battle, because he's fought hard. And he usually dies very quickly because the hyenas get him, because he's off alone now. He's not in a pride anymore. Giraffes won't drink water unless they're in a group, because they need to have someone watching their backs when they put their heads down to drink. The importance of having people around you in community that you can speak unedited conversation, who are running hard after God, who will hold you accountable, who will call you up when they see you do something is so important to us. And I think as time goes on, more and more we need that. It is very dangerous to be out on your own. It is very dangerous to be out on your own in a huge game reserve or in Boston, Massachusetts. It is very dangerous to be out on your own at this time. Chapters 7 through 12. <clears throat> chapters 7 through 12 are the chapters most people don't read. Okay, they are four visions given to Daniel in the latter part of his life. They cover over 2,500 years of history in incredible precision. The visions focus on the first dream Nebuchadnezzar had, which God gave the interpretation to Daniel. And this follows Daniel all the days of his life. So let's look quickly. Okie dokie. Chapter 1. What do we see in chapter 1? We see Daniel refuses the delicacies from the king. We see that you can prepare, you can know of something and, and not prepare for it. We see in chapter 2 that there's a great golden image. Daniel is about 15 to 18 years old when he is called up. And the interesting thing about this is that Nebuchadnezzar is a new king. So he has this dream. God gives him this dream. See, that's the best part about dreams is that when you're dreaming at night, nobody can protect you. Nobody can protect your heart and your mind when you're asleep even the great kings of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and some of the commentaries, I, I like they said, they said they think his face was the gold, the front top of the gold statue. It was actually Nebuchadnezzar's face, because that really got him. Like, what happens? This rock comes and smashes everything. But he is very wise, because he's grown up, his dad was the king. So Nebuchadnezzar is this very big warrior dude, like military huge. God bless you, God bless you. And what happens is he calls all these wise men in and he says, okay, tell me the dream and then give me the interpretation. I want both. 
And if I don't get both, you're all dead. Because he can do that, right? The closer you get to a king, the easier it is to have your head cut off. The further away you are, the safer you are. So here are all these guys with this new king, and they're trying to impress him. And probably Nebuchadnezzar has, has listened to them kind of tell his dad exactly what his dad wanted to hear for many years. And now he's in charge, and he's saying, hey, things are different now. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. So they all freak, right? They all freak. Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. And so in comes the, the guard to take out Daniel and his friends. And Daniel's like, what is going on? And he tells him, and he goes, can you get me to the king? Can, he, can you just let me talk to him and see if I can get some time? So Daniel goes in, and he says, give me just a day or two, and let me ask my God, the God who I serve, the God of Israel. And Daniel goes and prays with his friends. And what happens? He gets both. He gets exactly what the king saw, and he gets the interpretation of it. And the thing that's interesting, I think, when I, when I look at the golden image and I see what has taken place, so the first is the gold face, and that's Babylon. The second is Persia, then Greece, then Rome. Those are kingdoms. So Daniel is prophesying as he's going along because none of these things have taken place. The only king is Nebuchadnezzar. But what that says is, you're going to be taken out, Nebuchadnezzar, by the Persians. And then the Persians are going to be taken out by the Greeks. And then the Greeks are going to be taken out by the Romans. And it all transpires. And a lot of times, pure prophecy is like that. The most accurate prophetic things, words I've ever received in my life, have been built like that. Boom, 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 boom. The three things that have happened that I know that have taken place build my faith for what is important, the most important part, which is coming last. Okay? So God gets your attention. Interesting. Probably 30 years ago, this prophetic man who, who has died, he had four visions. The first vision was people, he could see people in rice paddies watching TVs that they were holding on their hands while they were working. The second one was women going into abortion, uh, to uh, drug stores and getting a pill that they could have an abortion that would cause an abortion. Now, this is 30 years ago. Okay, no smartphones, no abortion pills. The third was gay people coming out of closets and then dancing in parades. See how that builds your faith? Because now you're thinking the fourth one is true. And the fourth one has not taken place yet. The fourth one is that there will be a third world war. Boom, 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 boom. Gary and I were someplace during this past year. Same thing happened to us. Someone pulled us aside and went boom, 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 boom. 
that is the prophetic gift at its height. So that's what Daniel sees. And Daniel gives these words, and then they live them out. They actually see Babylon fall. Daniel is actually moved into the court of the new king. Chapter uh, 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's judgment. I think many of us know that. Chapter 7, if we're going in order, Daniel gets his first vision. He's about 60 years old. The vision is of four beasts, which you see in your picture. It's of a little horn, and it's of the Ancient of Days. So Daniel, the little horn in this story is the Antichrist. So when you're reading and they're talking about a little horn, that's who they are talking about. He is a little horn because he will come up, according to Gabriel in the story. So I'm speaking in hindsight because I know this story a little bit. So the little horn is going to come up similar to Hitler. That's what they're saying. So Hitler was like this little regional person that nobody cared about. And then seemingly overnight, Hitler becomes this person on the world stage. It will be the same thing that this person, the Antichrist, will be a small horn somewhere. And it, it gives pretty good, excuse me, pretty good um, idea as to where, what region he comes out of. But um, Daniel is focusing, as you will see, his attention is completely drawn to this little horn. In one chapter, it keeps saying how different he is. He's different than any of these other rulers. He is different than anything Daniel has seen or could even really conceive of, and it actually makes Daniel sick when he sees what's taking place. But then God shows him the Ancient of Days. God reveals to him, it's kind of like a Revelation 4 or 5 thing. He shows Daniel that he is sitting on the throne, that he is sovereign over all things. And Daniel sees the pre-incarnate Christ standing before God, and he knows those, he's one of my people. It's a Jewish man standing before God. And he later sees that he's the Messiah. Chapter 8 is the ram and the goat, the vision of the ram and the goat. What you need to know probably about that um, is it's Gabriel's first appearance in Scripture, chapter 8. The ram is Persia, the goat is Greece. There are 13 to 14 years before chapter between chapter 8 and chapter 9. Chapter 9, Daniel's about in his 80s, and he hears about the 70 weeks, which Gary is going to cover. Gabriel talks about uh, the entire span of what is going to take place, and he breaks it down into, it's called Daniel's 70 weeks. The important thing to know here is that in Scripture, in this story, back in their time, a week was a week of days, or a week was a week of years. In this case, it is a week of years, so it is 490 years. So the whole story of God, he says, breaks down to 490 years. And we're thinking, well, we've been out like 2,500 years, so <laughs> what's with the story? But three things you need to know about this, the 70 weeks. The clock is not on unless Israel is a nation, unless Jerusalem is in control, the Jews have control of Jerusalem, and lastly, that there are sacrifices in the temple. 
when those three things are moving, the clock is off. Start 490 years. So where we are now in history, we are waiting for Daniel's last week because the 69th week ended when Jesus was killed. That's, and then the temple was destroyed. There has not been a temple in Jerusalem since that time. So Daniel's 70th week is what people who have uh, enjoy the prophetic scriptures and are watchers, are, that's what they're looking for. But obviously, it can't take place until, what? There's a temple in Israel again, right on the spot where the Dome of the Rock is. Chapter 5 is the writing on the wall. It's the end of the Babylonian Empire where we see the king sees a hand writing on the wall and he calls people in, all his friends, and they say, we can't interpret this. We don't know what it means. It's in a different language. And his mother comes in and says, I know who you call. Call this man Daniel. He will know. And he does. And he basically says, the kingdom has been taken from you because... You have just been horrible. You have destroyed the things of God. They were actually having this huge party using all the articles from the temple that they took when they took Daniel. They were having a party and they were using the holy things of God. And Daniel said, tonight the kingdom will pass from you. And sure enough, Cyrus came in and they didn't even have a fight. They just came in and took them all. Chapter uh, 6 is the lion's den. Chapter 10 through 12... Uh, is a great, great vision. 11 and 12 are the whole of the vision. 10 is the preparation for that vision to take place. This is one of the most detailed visions in all of Scripture, chapter 10 through 12, 11 through 12. It covers the kings of the north, the king of the south, and the 1335 days. One thing that sticks out to me when I read Daniel is that there's so many times when everybody, Daniel, along with all of his contemporaries, all the people that work for the king, they all cry out to him asking for an answer. God, what's the answer to this? What's the interpretation of the dream? What does this mean? Help us, help us. And Daniel receives the revelation, and nobody else does. And I think it's because the answer is found in Proverbs 1. Actually, 120. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses, which means that wisdom is easily found. Wisdom is easily found. She's not hiding somewhere. She's out in the middle screaming, here I am, here I am. At the opening of the gates of the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour my spirit out on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. See, there are times when things are quiet is the time to seek wisdom. When things are quiet is the time to seek understanding from God. 
when a crisis starts, you're going to have what you got. The understanding that you have when a crisis begins, that's what you're going to run with. You get understanding now. You get wisdom now. You get knowledge of God. God said in Hosea, I think it's Hosea 4, it says, my people will perish for lack of knowledge. He's already telling us that. Jesus said when he's talking in Matthew 24, actually Matthew 24 is an end time verse, and in Matthew 24, Jesus says, the apostles say, how are we going to know when you come back again? Let us know. How are you going to know? And three times in Matthew 24, he speaks of Daniel. Go to Daniel. Read Daniel. You need to understand Daniel when you want, if you really want to have understanding of when I'm going to return. Because you disdained all my counsel and you would have none of my rebuke, this is chilling. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call out, on me, call out to me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. I'll stop there. Now that I've thrown water all over you, cold, cold water. (laughs) But I think that's why Daniel set his heart to know God. Daniel set his heart to understand the scriptures and things that were taking place. There are so many parts of scripture that we just put aside because we think we don't understand them or we don't need to understand them. We need to understand the whole book. What other books do you read that you pick and choose the chapters and say, I know it. I'm a follower of this guy. I am, but I have no idea what he says on a number of matters of great importance. So understanding Daniel gives you, gives you one part of the story, of the end time story. But it's combined with Zechariah and Revelation. They're all three fit together beautifully. One feeds off the other. You have parts of one that fill in and expound on parts of the other. So it's, you'll find understanding when you read Daniel, but you'll get greater understanding if then you pursue Revelation and Zechariah. But Daniel says, the end of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 3 says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. God is beckoning us to know the story. Because if you know the story, then when calamity hits, you're like Daniel, and you know, okay, I know what happens next. Because God really spells it out, as we will see. He spells out what is coming in an incredibly precise way. And the church, it's her finest hour. It's the church's finest hour. 
Fabiana was talking about an open heaven. There will be like an open heaven. It will be miracles like we have never even imagined. Multiplication of food. All of these things that Jesus did, we will see in greater abundance at that time. So I think to be fearful is not honoring to God. Sometimes when you read these stories, you get so full of fear, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But we know what's going to happen. We know exactly what's going to happen. And if we read Daniel, we know how to stand. And so that's our hope in the next few weeks, that as we dig into this book and unearth these amazing stories of God and what he has done, that there won't be fear. There will be this understanding that says, my God, how amazing are you that you would have this story, that this would be your story, that we would now purpose our hearts now as the new year is coming, that we would be people of understanding, that we would have knowledge of God, that we would seek him while he can be found. Okay? Not bad. I only did one page. Okay. Thank you.